Hello everyone and welcome back to the AirPod, the place where we wrap up the week's raw news and dive in to the biggest stories. I'm your host, Omid Scobie. Joining me is... Hi, Omid. <laughs> it's Queen Margaret this week. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to, I was waiting for that. Uh, our wonderful ABC News foreign correspondent, Margaret <laughs> In the house. Guys, it was a really big deal this week because Omid found out that my full name is actually Margaret, which I think is quite royal. Oh, well, I have the, re- the only reason why it stood out to me was because <laughs> I've, of course, been finishing off the new series of The Crown, which we'll talk about shortly. But Princess Margaret, I think, has probably become one of the standout oh, favorites so good. of the show. An iconic character brought to life in an amazing way by Helena mm-hmm. Bonham Carter. So you're sharing, you're sharing a good spot. I know, I can't help it. I'm very um, hardcore team Margaret, a lot just because we share the same name. But I do feel like her and I are like kindred spirits, you know? <laughs> well, I was joking with Omid that I had a little pillow on my bed growing up that said Queen Margaret. It's like it's all meant to be. <laughs> Do you still have it? No, no, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) No, but really no one ever calls me Margaret. Margaret's like my official name, but um, I've never once been been called it except for when I was in trouble growing up. Otherwise, it's always Maggie. Oh, it's always the way. Your full name gets rolled out by your parents when you've, uh, you know when you've done something wrong. That's usually Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's when Margaret comes out. (laughs) Well, we have quite a lot to get through this week. I would want to talk to you about The Crown shortly, but before we get to that, uh, we've got some good news to celebrate. Uh, we have uh, just today actually celebrating the 73rd wedding anniversary of Queen That's Elizabeth incredible. and Prince Philip. Uh, the couple released a brand new photograph of mm-hmm. uh, themselves, enjoying uh, letters from well wishers, cards from family members. I think you've got some details on that, um, which I think, what are, I mean, 73 years, bravo, that's quite an achievement. Isn't it though, 73, I mean, just think about that, the amount of decades that they've gone through together and experiences they've had, and uh, also the, the family that they've now created, you mentioned some of those cards, I think the cutest one, and the photographer who was on the scene then posted a close-up of the cards, we were able to see it up close, but it was from... You know, William and Kate's three little kids, they're great grandchildren, which is just wild to think about. Um, But what I love about this card is that it was almost like a 3D pop-up looking card that said 73 on it. It was really brightly colored. But I'm sorry, I feel like Kate actually made this card because when you see it, it is way too well done for, you know, kids in single digits. (laughs) Well, it's funny, you know, the first thing I thought of was earlier this year, there were photographs of... Kate out at a craft store, uh, I think somewhere near their home in Norfolk at Anmore Hall, <laughs> picking up art supplies for the kids. So I do wonder if perhaps one of the results of that booty yeah. of art supplies was the 73rd anniversary this card. She strikes me as a crafter. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm there right there with you. I'm right there with you, Kate. Like, invite me over sometime if you want. I'll happily craft with you. Um, But I I could see her making some mean birthday cards for people. We saw her baking not too many weeks ago either. So I feel like this is in their repertoire. Yeah, exactly. This was a really sweet photo. It sort of was in one of their more private spaces at Windsor Castle in the Oak Room. Um, uh, A much 
less formal looking setting. In fact, it was weird to see them sitting on what like a very regular couch. To, to be quite <laughs> expecting it to be like a throne or something. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there were a few nice little details in this picture. She was wearing her chrysanthemum brooch, mm. uh, which she received in 1946 when she launched an oil tanker. Uh, but more romantically, it was a piece that she wore and was photographed wearing on her honeymoon in Hampshire with the Duke of Edinburgh. Um, okay, that's where I was going to say, I was like, but oil tankers are not that romantic. <laughs> well, I feel like we've this... got to hear the rest of the story. <laughs> it was an oil tanker called the British Princess, if that makes it oh, slightly more okay, out. that helps a little bit. Uh, we saw <laughs> the know, Queen... I thought it was so great to see them together. We haven't really had photos like that all the time. You know, they don't spend as much time together as you might expect. And so to see them on the couch together celebrating such an intimate anniversary was really special. Absolutely. I mean, you know, this year I think has been a, a difficult time for all families, but for a couple that spend much of the year apart, I would imagine mm -hmm. it's been a very different experience isolating together on so many uh, different occasions. You know, I, I always used to think that the secret perhaps to the success <laughs> of their happy marriage is the fact that they do spend uh, sometimes fairly extended periods of time apart we know that uh, prince philip likes to be or since retiring likes to spend his time at wood farm on the sandringham estates and uh, the mm. queen of course is mostly in residence you know, outside of corona season at buckingham palace um, and windsor castle i mean 73 years whatever you do to get to there is just you know power to you i will think it's been interesting and again this We'll be talking more about the current season of The Crown, but since I've been binging from the beginning of The Crown, um, it's been really interesting to sort of be reminded of them when they first got married. And, you know, we'll say first and foremost, yes, I understand The Crown is not, you know, historically accurate and it is not an exact biography. So I got that out of the way. But <laughs> what I will say is that it's a good reminder that just, you know, the Queen and Philip, you see them now and they're obviously in their 90s and they've been together for 73 years. But at one point they were this young couple that had just gotten married and were thrust into the spotlight, were thrust into so much responsibility and power. And the crown has been a great way to sort of be reminded of that and to relive some of that and to see how they navigated all of this. Because not only is it 73 years, which again, huge accomplishment, it's 73 years with the weight of the crown, which almost seems impossible. I mean, it's just, it's really incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, a lot of the show is fictional. And I think there has been a real focus on that this week uh, in a way that I feel that we haven't seen in previous seasons of The Crown. You know, we mm. can't forget that during season one of The Crown, uh, we heard reports that uh, the Queen herself had enjoyed watching the first season. Uh, and, you know, that was kind of where we, you know, where we pictured, you know, the royals and the crown, that it wasn't something that posed as any threat to the family in fact it's been watched yeah. by something i think around 75 million households around the world so it has huge influence and impact on those that perhaps don't know so much about the royal family and i would imagine has done a great service to the monarchy here in some ways in promoting the firm on a global stage of course this season covers much punchier and controversial subjects with the sort of introduction of the storyline around uh, Prince Charles and Princess Diana's marriage. And I would imagine now that's why we have had so many conversations uh, taking place in, in, in the news and on talk shows about 
the sort of authenticity of these stories, um, many of which I would say, having read some of the papers, probably are coming from those close to Charles himself who seem to be doing everything they can to defend <laughs> him. Because of course, you know, and I said this on Good Morning America at the start of the week, this is a couple, you know, Charles and Camilla are a couple who have spent so much time repairing mm. their image and rebranding themselves since uh, the breakdown of his marriage to the Princess of Wales. And for a couple who I would say now in the UK enjoy fairly decent pop, you know, level of popularity, a show like this, of course, can have the kind of damaging impact that would be the you know, worst thing imaginable to those at Clarence House. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. I mean, they've worked quite extensively to sort of move past this. And in their minds, I'm sure they think this is old news. So to have uh, the crown and bring it back into everyone's, you know, what everyone's talking about right now must be very jarring for them. And, you know, I also think there might be this renewed push to focus on fact versus fiction just because it's so much more recent history. I mean, we're talking about people... Uh, that lived through this not that long ago. And, and so to have it be much more recent, I mean, uh, to have it be the parents of William and Harry, I, and all of a sudden just because you realize it's much more of a, a real family. Now, that's not a knock. I also understand the queen is obviously, you know, was portrayed early on, but that was, you know, 50, 60, 50, 40 years ago. So um, the difference, I think, makes it quite stark. Mm. It has been interesting to see some of the commentary come out about uh, the sort of accuracy or inaccuracy of sections of the Crown, often coming from uh, tabloids that uh, when mm. their own stories are questioned about uh, when it comes to accuracy or inaccuracy of royal reporting. <laughs> That's interesting. I thought I it was a little... never thought of that before, Owen. <laughs> I thought it was a little interesting. You know, look, at the end of the day, this is entertainment, but... As, as I've said before, you know, this is a show that when you strip away the fictional dialogue and the sort of dramatised moments that, of course, are the sort of figment of the imagination of those writing the show, you still have a series that is rooted in fact, mm. first-hand accounts. You know, Princess Diana's own interviews have gone to sort of shape the narrative that we've seen uh, taking place in this current season, but also the existing reporting, the plethora of reporting mm. that it already exists, uh, predominantly coming from the British media and the numerous royal biographies that have been written about this particular moment in time. So I think sometimes uh, I feel the need to argue against this notion that the entire series is suddenly fiction or the figment of someone's imagination because actually there is a lot there it's a blend and you know mm. these stories are about real people there are many real elements in there and as, as much as I think some would like to gloss over things that have happened in the past you know the the, the history books speak for themselves yeah, it's still got to be so difficult to watch yourself on camera. That's what I keep thinking. I mean, I can understand if the royals actually don't watch this because could you imagine seeing everything uh, recreated and, and all of sort of the, the most dramatic moments of your life put on screen? And then what if they choose an actor you don't even like to play you? I mean, these are the real issues, Omid. <laughs> I will say that 
you know, storylines aside, the acting from the cast in this mm. current season is just top notch. I think Emma Corrin really does an incredible job playing Princess ah, Diana, a, a, a woman that is so known by many around the world. Um, it, it's a tough job to take on. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've been watching a lot of her interviews and she spoke about how she was overwhelmed by sort of having to sit in front of hours mm -hmm. of footage of Princess Diana in, at various moments in her life. But it's been interesting to see what she's brought to that. And I think that mm -hmm. uh, she really comes to life in the scenes that perhaps are less familiar to us. I think there are moments where they really go to great lengths to recreate certain scenes that are somewhat iconic to us, whether that's Charles and Diana's engagement interview or those moments on tour in New York when Diana did her first solo overseas trip as a working member of the royal family but it's those private moments where i think that they're able to have this slight more freedom because it mm. sort of leans more on fiction uh, that we're able to see the characters really come to life and you know i think josh o'connor who already did a great job as prince charles in the previous series continues to bring the prince of wales to life in a way that i think you know i i did not follow royal news in that era so this is now shaping my image <laughs> mm. of that period of time. Um, Omid, do you think the royals watch? Yeah, it's interesting. I know that Prince Harry certainly was aware of the first series and mm -hmm. I don't know if he watched the full series, but certainly had taken a look. But I also remember speaking to an aide of his who said that even if he was to watch the full series, he would always tune out the second it got hmm. anywhere near his era and I have often yeah. thought about the brothers while watching this fourth series which I sort of polished off in about 24 hours um, <laughs> because it does cover some moments that do involve them you know we mm -hmm. see we see Prince William uh, being dropped off at boarding school we see Harry and, and, and his mother playing in the pool together you know these are intimate family moments being brought to life in a way that I would imagine is quite spooky and freaky yeah for and also intimate moments who, between their parents yeah yeah that, that it you know it's it's i think as the, as the show progresses more into sort of present day house of windsor it becomes harder and harder for members of the royal family uh to to even stomach the idea of watching it um and there's already a lot of talk about series five and series six um i won't mm. spoil where series four leaves off but seasons five and six have been confirmed and there's even talk about the show you know despite i think originally um it was reported that it would only it would stop uh, before william and harry become adults um i've certainly heard rumblings that there's talk within sort of netflix about the possibilities of whether the show could be extended and so really i didn't you, know that when you look when you think of how much controversy this current season has created um, just wait this is going to have to be a, a presence <laughs> in you know members of the royal family's lives for for quite some time and mm. i would imagine that fighting back through source quotes in british newspapers is probably not the way forward in fact i always wondered why there wasn't more collaboration between the two you know I certainly mm. know that 
those working on the show would have reached out to the palace to see if there was an opportunity for fact-checking and cooperation. And of course, the answer would have been a firm no. Um, but now we reach <laughs> to these very critical years. I wonder if there are people who are sort of kicking themselves for not taking advantage of that opportunity. Because of yeah. course now, this narrative is being shaped for many around the world. I think they, they expect something like 25 million households to watch this wow. new season in the first four weeks of it being out. So that's 25 million people minimum who are going to have their opinion of the royal family shaped by something that is part fiction, part non-fiction. Hmm. I think that's such a good point. I wonder if going forward, especially if they start going into the modern era of royals, if the royal family will decide to become more involved. But I don't know. It just seems to go against everything the royal family stands for, everything especially the queen has stood for. I can't imagine them actually working uh, on some type of, you know, biopic for Netflix like this. Mm. But that being said, I mean, I do think it's important to consider when, as you mentioned, those numbers, you know, dozens of millions of people are getting their uh, source of royal history from Netflix. I don't know, you might want to be involved in that. Exactly. I felt I felt for Prince Charles and Camilla this week because, of course, they travelled to Berlin for the National Day of uh. Mourning. You know, this is how we started the week. Uh, they intended, attended a wreath-laying ceremony at one of the more, more, excuse me, war memorials there and the central remembrance ceremony at the German parliament, which of course was a very important moment for them. As we said in the last episode, it was the first time uh, that members of the royal family had truly gone overseas, you know, to another continent uh, in this era of COVID and should have been a significant moment in Charles and Camilla's uh, work this year of course was completely overshadowed Gosh, by this so new season right. of the crown and you know this is a couple that are often overshadowed by bigger royal stories mm -hmm. taking place elsewhere this time they were overshadowed by themselves oh that's so <laughs> that's such a bad twist of fate i know um, if you were to pick an actress to take on or an actor to take on the roles of members of the royal family who have not yet featured on The Crown. Do you have anyone in mind? Oh gosh. Oh my gosh, that's so hard. Do you already have someone in mind? I feel like you have a good one. No, but I, I'm kind of curious to, to know who could, you know, if, if, if we ever reach the years of William and Kate's first, uh, first years getting to know each other, Oh, who would be Kate? Who would be Kate in the young years? In fact, <gasps> guys, if you have any suggestions. That's a good you, question. Yeah, send them in. Use the hashtag the airport. Send them also, to Maggie or myself. Yeah, send us suggestions for Kate. Also an adult William and Harry and also the corgis of the Queen. I feel like we should cast, you know, all members of the royal family. <laughs> I might have to go and find a great corgi outfit for Yoshi. Yeah. <laughs> Yoshi's ready to shine. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, after the break, we'll be catching up with the rest of the week's royal news, including Prince William's support for an important investigation into the history of Princess Diana's iconic panorama interview. Well, welcome back. As you might remember on last week's show, we spoke about uh, the controversy surrounding the Panorama documentary that Princess Diana recorded with Martin Bashir in 1995, uh, something that we at the time believed 
the Princes of Wales to have recorded uh, completely uh, sort of independently and of her own choice uh, but now uh, documents and reports suggest or allege that Martin Bashir and those working on the show might have used unethical means to coerce the princess into doing the interview. Now this has been something that's uh, been sort of picking up steam for some time. I would say that uh, certainly something that members of the royal family have been paying close attention to mm. and this week the BBC announced that they would be launching an independent investigation uh, and they've hired the former British Supreme Court judge uh, John Dyson or Lord Dyson to lead this investigation um, of course after the outlet was accused of using these uneth unethical tactics to secure Diana's TV appearance but what's interesting about this is the Duke of Cambridge on Wednesday this week uh, put out a statement through Kensington Palace calling the investigation a step in the right direction. A rare mm. move for a senior member of the royal family to really wade into uh, a sort of un inconclusive investigation that's still going on. But very interesting. And Maggio, I w wanted to know your thoughts on wh why you think William has chosen this time to to actually speak out about it. It's it's very rare for yeah. us to hear Harry or William talking about sort of anything related to their mother. Well, I think you make such a good point. It, it, why now? This is so rare. And there's been, you know, multiple other uh, times throughout the past few years when, you know, either uh, William or Harry could have stepped forward and said something, whether it be about their mother, other court cases. And normally, uh, as again, you mentioned, the, the royal family stays out of these matters. You know, they purposefully avoid messy situations. And no one was really expecting that we had to hear from William. This wasn't something that people were even clamoring for or waiting for. And so this was something he really did because it seems like he wanted to, that he wanted to get his opinion on the matter out there. And so for me, it just speaks to how much this must mean to him. I mean, clearly this is something that he's been thinking about. It seems as if it's that way. It seems that this is something that's been weighing on him. And he wanted to make sure that, you know, his opinion was heard. Uh, I, I think what's interesting is he still is very careful with the language. You know, he's just saying it's a step mm. in the right direction. He's not assuming that anyone is guilty. He's not assuming Mark Bashir did anything that was nefarious. But at the same time, you know, he's um, making it seem as if this has been something that's troubled him for a while. And he's happy that uh, at least the BBC is taking it seriously and there's an investigation underway. Yeah. Well, the rest of that statement, he goes on to talk about, uh, he hopes that it will help establish a truth behind the actions that led mm. to the Panorama interview and subsequent decisions taken by those in the BBC at the time. Of course, referring to an internal investigation that was done some time ago that actually resulted in sort of no proof that any sort of unethical tactics mm. had actually taken place. Of course, now that uh, we've heard from uh, one of the former graphic designers working on the show who has admitted that he was uh, requested by Martin Bashir to create um, or doctor bank statements uh, for a reason that this designer didn't know at the time, but what reports suggest uh, were to um, convince Princess Diana that those within the institution, within the royal households, had been paid to uh, brief others on information, private information about her, which of course, as we know from other interviews that she's given and her conversations with Andrew Morton uh, for his biography on her was something she was incredibly paranoid about mm. at the time. I think what's really interesting is to see 
both Harry and William uh, really sort of showing interest in getting to the bottom of things that they felt weren't right or fair for their mother. Of course, mm. it was only a year ago, almost a year ago to this month, that we heard that Prince Harry had uh, launched uh, lawsuits against the Sun and the Mirror for uh, what he believes were cover-ups about phone hacking and their mother. Um, he believes that uh, private eyes were paid to snoop on his mother and editors at the paper pretended to be on her side only to get more information. Uh, it's, this is something that has actually sort of resurfaced again this week because the news is that this will actually go to trial in 2021. It's part of a larger lawsuit uh, being launched against mm. the papers for a number of phone hacking allegations. But I think that this is really the boys continuing to defend their mother, but also stand up for what they believe is right. Were you surprised at all that, I guess maybe we shouldn't be really surprised by this at this point, but um, you know, under other circumstances, do you think the brothers would have made a joint statement? It's interesting. I, I, I was surprised that we heard from Prince William this week. Um, and I've, I've been trying to figure out whether there are politics behind such a decision you know, we know that he's launching the Earthshot Prize next year. Mm. Does the BBC play a role in that? Is there a reason to sort of uh, show support for an investigation such as this at such an early time? Because I could, I could definitely imagine both of them wanting to say something when uh, the information or when the investigation is concluded. But mm -hmm. at this point, of course, it's very early and. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I had actually reached out to see if we'd be hearing from either side. And from both sides, it was no. Uh, you know, that the, the, you know, all I was hearing was that both brothers were aware of the impending investigation, but that was that. And I think that they've really tried to be careful to stay out of it. But at the same time, when Harry launched his lawsuit last year, that was something that, of course, was out in the public domain. We knew that it was something incredibly important to him. And we didn't hear from William at that time. In fact, we didn't hear from any member of the royal family or anyone within the institution about wh whether others were supporting it or believed that he was doing the right thing. Mm. Um, of course, this time around, we've heard from Prince William, but we haven't heard from Prince Harry. So I think um, it's obviously a very personal decision to put out support for something like this. But we can see that when we look at the separate actions that they've taken, this is something, um, even if it's independent, uh, it, of, of each other is, is still very important to them. Hmm. Well, the other person we haven't heard from still is Martin Bashir, the journalist behind all of this. And, uh, you know, reports are saying that he's very ill with COVID-19 and he hasn't been able to be questioned. Mm -hmm. But there, there were, I think we, we really spoke about this last week, because last week these photos came out showing, you know, uh, Martin Bashir still sort of out and about, um, picking up takeaway food somewhere and so some people are questioning it but at the at the end of the day I mean he's such an integral part of this investigation that eventually they're going to have to speak with him uh, whether it's you know the investigators at the BBC or whether he speaks publicly but it, he's got to be feeling the heat right now from from uh, BBC investigators coming down on this. Absolutely well there are a lot of unanswered questions and I'm sure it probably won't be the last we hear from either William or Harry on the matter. Mm. I'm sure as more information comes to light, we may end up hearing from the Duke of Sussex. Uh, speaking of, we did see Prince Harry uh, out and about this week, volunteering for military veterans in the Compton area of Los Angeles, uh, working alongside a number of 
service-based organisations. He was helping pack meal kits for those that had been impacted by COVID-19 in the area, but also working alongside an uh, LA-based organisation called the Mission Continued, uh, which is a movement that connects veterans who want to continue their service with local members and organisations to help transform mm. their communities. And I must point out, what was really interesting about this is that the information I'm sharing with you now is not from a press release, it's not from uh, the charity themselves, it sort of came to su surface from on social media. <laughs> uh, a volunteer had taken a picture of Prince Harry packing one of the meal kits and that's how it came out and uh, you know, I was able to confirm some of the details with Team Sussex. But this is actually something that Harry wanted to keep very much under wraps and gives us a real insight into the kind of work that he's doing behind the scenes away from the cameras and away from the media. Well, you know, I'm curious, this, as you mentioned, came out just because someone there posted it online on social media. Do you think that he's done other service projects like this that no one posted, so we just don't know about them? I mean, is that possible? I feel like everyone knows everything that Harry and Meghan do nowadays that I can't even imagine us not knowing, but do you think they've really done the, you know, other service projects that we just don't know about? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I checked in with a source this week who said that both Harry and Meghan have been doing work, you know, mm. outside that we just don't know about yet, um, you know, on a sort of voluntary basis. And so I think when we've had these sort of small snapshots of some of the projects that they've been involved in, of course, they were handing out uh, or to helping deliver meals very early on when they moved to L.A. It was in April, I think, that we saw them um, helping uh, those sort of hit most or hit hardest by COVID-19 delivering meals in the L.A. area. Um, and of course, this work that Harry's doing this week, um, it's not just Mission Continues that he was there with. There were volunteers from Compton Veterans and the Walker Family Events Foundation, um, which helps or assists military veterans who are experiencing homelessness and hardships. And, you know, I spoke to someone that was actually there on the day and they said that Harry was actually put in a good four hour shift on this wow. one. So this wasn't like just showing up to, to sort of <laughs> for the for the looks of it. Um, he, re you know, he had his mask on, he had his cap pulled down low and was just getting on with the work. It was a hot day. I think everyone found it sort of very difficult out in the sun. But there were, I think, hundreds of cars going right up the streets, uh, hmm. all sort of driving in for these uh, meal packages. Um, there was a coat drive taking place there, of course, as we head into winter. So. You know, this is them, you know, Harry and Meghan have always spoken about that importance of grassroots initiatives and, and sort of being uh, sort of part or in, sort of ingrained in the community that they are a part of. And, you know, being living in California, it only makes sense that they would sort of start from home and, and mm. figure out what they can do on the ground over there, all whilst, of course, preparing bigger things with their Archwell Foundation and uh, you know, other appearances because of course this wasn't the only time that we saw Harry this week. He was really busy you know it was interesting um, we also saw him making a a pretty big appearance at the Stand Up for Heroes event and, and you know, this event goes out to help uh, other service members uh, obviously another organization that's so close to Harry's heart it was started by Bob Woodruff a, a colleague of ours at ABC News a foreign correspondent previously now based in, in the U.S. and this was um, 
I believe the 14th year they've been having this event and it's raised you know, more than $50 million for charity. So it's a really incredible organization. And this year we heard from Harry and you know, it, it was really great to see him in the, in the video that he posted, he sort of wore his um, uh, medals. Is that what you call them? Oh God, Omid, what do you call them? <laughs> You're okay with medals. Medals? Okay. I was like, I'm just going to offend someone. Um, he wore medals and it was a really big reminder. You know, he spoke so much from the heart, I thought, about how important service was to him and how important service in the military was for him. And he, he really drove home the point that this has shaped and changed his life and made him the man that he is. And so it was great to see him um, speaking so candidly for an organization that is obviously clo so close to his heart and also an organization that just does really incredible, incredible work. For the whole world, this year has been and continues to be incredibly hard. But we've also seen incredible resilience and purpose. As far as I see it, service is what happens in the quiet and in the chaos. What happens when people aren't looking. And it's about how we take care of each other every single day. As we reflect on the past year, a universally tough year, the leadership and values that are represented in this community in our community are more important now than ever. Thank you to those who came before us. Thank you to everyone who upholds the service values in everything that they do. And thank you to our loved ones for the unwavering support. Yeah, I thought this was great because of course this is usually a show that takes place live in New York. There's a big audience and of course everyone's mm. having to sort of make this work. Um, in the means that we do have available to hand. So it was all held virtually, um, but it was still a star-studded lineup. They had Bruce Springsteen, John Stewart, Brad Paisley, uh, Tiffany Haddish, and of course, Prince Harry. And I thought it was great. It did go <laughs> on to raise a lot of money. Um, I think the numbers for those that tuned in on the ABC News live stream, and I think it also aired on TikTok and other platforms. So really reaching out a huge audience, probably with the sort of changes to a more virtual format allowed it probably to reach a much bigger mm. audience. Um, but this is great. You know, Harry always said that when, you know, no matter what he's doing and where he is, his focus or his dedication to the military community will always be as strong as ever. And he, you know, is clearly a man of his word. And it's great to see that continuing. And what's also been interesting and really great is that it seems like, you know, uh, with Harry and Meghan moving to the U.S., at least for, you know, part of their time, um, he's also embracing sort of organizations in America as well that serve the same beliefs that he has been fostering for so long in the U.K. So, you know, even... When we saw him go um, lay wreaths on, on soldiers' graves during Remembrance Day, it was, you know, obviously paying um, respect and, and honor to fallen soldiers in the UK, but also in the US and Canada and other Commonwealth countries. And so even this event was a great chance to show that he is part of this larger community. Yes, it's this larger community of military servicemen and women in the UK, but um, he's almost made it a, a, a global effort now to support people that um, sacrifice. And again, sort of, you know, going back to service for him that's what really stood out for me this this almost it's, he made it sound like it was a, a larger calling for him um service and, and what it meant for himself mm, absolutely 
Now, last week I asked you, Maggie, whether you were oh, one no. of the Would many, many people across the country and probably around the world who have put up their Christmas decorations <gasps> early. Oh my God. Oh my. Well, I don't know if you'll be proud of me or disappointed in me, but I listened to my mother because moms are always right, even when you don't want them to be. And she said, Maggie, don't get it the last weekend because everything will die before Christmas Day. So I compromised and I said, I'm going to try to start getting stuff this weekend. So nothing yet, nothing yet. But I feel like, you know, we're in what, five weeks out at this point? It's time. Yeah, it's time. I think we're close. It's time. And it's clearly on the mind mind of many, uh, because this week we saw a, a, a very rare post on Instagram from Carol Middleton, Kate's mother, mm. uh, who spoke about uh, Christmas being a little different this year and, of course, how hard it'll be for families to come together. But what's interesting, she gave us some insight into some of the Christmas traditions that she usually shares with her grandchildren, uh, Princess Charlotte, Prince Louis and Prince George. Uh, she said that usually uh, they decorate a tree together and it's something that they're all very involved in. And this year they moved that tradition to video call. So she, let, she wrote on Instagram, I normally let my grandchildren help me decorate huh. the tree. This year I've asked them by video call to decide which decorations should go where. It may need to be tastefully rearranged later. <laughs> <laughs> this is so cute. One, I love we rarely get to hear from Kate's side of the family. So I love that her mom said something. And also, what a great idea for everyone. I think everyone's struggling with that this year. I know in the States, uh, the CDC just recommended that you, know, you don't travel for Thanksgiving. You don't go see your loved ones. And so it's really hard for a lot of people. And this is sort of a great example of uh, how to make it work, right? Yes, it's not ideal, but this is a way to still have those memories and traditions together, even if you can't physically be together. Absolutely. Um, what do you usually normally do for Thanksgiving? Uh, I eat a lot. And I always um, make everyone that's, you know, my family that's with me that year go for a turkey trot run that morning. So I feel like it's about balance, right, Omid? <laughs> <laughs> balance goes And start out watching the Christmas movies and decorate the Christmas tree that weekend. It's a pretty, it's a pretty big full weekend. I feel like my television has been tormenting me. Your best it friend. Keeps, well, it keeps flashing up Christmas movie recommendations already. It's I've noticed time. on some of the streaming in, apps, Omid. they're like, you it's know, time. I saw the banner for Home Alone the other day and I was like, is this too early? <laughs> no. Well, I thought, okay, here was my compromise. I thought this weekend, oh, we could start by gradually like dipping your toe in the Christmas movie water. So maybe you don't go full throttle home alone, but maybe it's more like a You've Got Mail, which is more of just a holiday adjacent film, you know, where it's like subtly in the background. Or even a When Harry Met Sally, which is more of a fall aesthetic, but that could work. Or a Die Hard, which is like the classic action movie, Christmas movie. I like that. I'd be curious to know yeah. what You've Got Mail looks like in this day and age because it probably has dated so badly <laughs> it's given quite the technology dated, that we have. <laughs> you know, but I have to say I watched it recently and while it is 100% dated, even more than I think anyone could have predicted, you know, I'm just going to say it. Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are so stinking cute together still that I totally enjoyed the movie. All right. Well, that's my that's my yeah. evening source at that. That is my <laughs> holiday recommendation for a, a movie to easy win to the holiday spirit. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> well, on that note, I think I need to go make some popcorn. Um, but thank you again for joining us. Uh, we'll be with you next Friday with the latest goings on on the House of Windsor. And do let us know if you've watched The Crown. I'd love to know your thoughts, uh, predictions for the future seasons. 
whether you think it should continue beyond season six and how do you guys feel about the blend of fact and fiction that goes into the episodes uh, you know how to find us i'm at scoby on twitter maggie yay we'll see you soon i met maggie Ruley, and uh, let us know what you think all right guys have a good week Thank you.